Morning. Super nice day outside. Uh, <laughs> glad, glad that you're here. Uh, welcome to uh, week three of our uh, Building for God series as we look to the future uh, of our church. Uh, if you weren't here uh, last week or you weren't able to watch online, I would ask that you do uh, watch online since we're kind of explaining in that message everything that's happening. I can't obviously wait for you to watch that right now before we continue. So in case you missed it, let me just sort of quickly summarize for you. You know, our desire from the very beginning of this church has been to be a people being changed by God to change the world. And we want to do just that. We want to impact as many people. We want to reach as many people for Christ as we can. Uh, and God's been doing that in our church. You can see in this uh, chart that we showed you last week that uh, we, we've been growing uh, quickly as a church, uh, particularly in the last uh, three or four years, and many people are being reached for Christ. But we know if we sort of continue on that trend that in just a little over two years, we are going to be out of room here at North Point Elementary, and we would literally be turning people away if we do nothing. And so we're not going to do nothing. In fact, uh, for five years now, we've been in the process of raising funds for land, uh, purchasing land, and now uh, raising money for our future building. Uh, a building that we're working towards, not just simply so we can have a building, but so we can have more space to amplify this mission and continue to reach uh, more and more people for Jesus Christ. And so I mentioned last week that in order for us to break ground on this building uh, in this upcoming March, our bank is requiring us to raise an additional $210,000 in pledges, uh, which is a tall order, but uh, we believe that it's, that it's possible. Uh, before we uh, jump into the book of Nehemiah, which we've been studying in this series, again, I want to give you kind of a special look at what this uh, building is going to look like. Uh, last week, we showed you the outside of the building. Uh, this week, we are going to actually fly through and head inside the building, which is really, really cool. Uh, a couple of things. As you watch this, uh, don't get distracted by the people in the video. They're actually fake people, uh, <laughs> so you won't find yourself in there. Uh, don't say, oh, all the people were too old or too young or they had funny clothes on. They're just fake people that the architects uh, put in. Uh, you'll notice there's a lot of details in the building, but there are some places where there aren't a lot of uh, details. So many of the walls are blank or some of the rooms are empty. Uh, this is just an artist's rendering. So no, we're not just going to have weaving baskets in the children's rooms and so just don't, don't get too focused on it. Just picture it and, and picture what it would be like if you were in there and God was moving. And so I think, I think you're going to like it. Are you ready? All right, let's take a look. Here we go. Okay, so coming in from the parking lot, uh, there's the cross. We're going inside the building now into the lobby. Uh, you'll notice if you look over to the right, this is the children's wing. As we swing back over to the left, you'll see the cafe. We actually have an awesome cafe out in the lobby, which will be nice. Uh, and then on the right here, this is a meeting room, which will also be a Renovation U classroom. We'll have tables to write on. That'll be really cool. This is the admin staff area. All of our staff will work in there. Uh, restrooms are right here, right off the lobby for easy access. We'll be seating uh, in the lobby. As we go across, you'll see a children's check-in is right here. Now we're going to go into the children's wing. Six different classrooms, nurseries right there on the right. Um, we're going to take you into the one-year-old classroom so you can kind of see uh, what it looks like. Nice spacious room. There'll be plenty of amazing things uh, happening in this room. Now as we head back down the hallway, one of the things I want to call your attention to is the parent-child room, which is right here, right off the worship center. Now we're walking into the worship center now. There are 480 seats in this worship center all the way down here. It's really wide, all the way down here, and then to the right, 
uh, all the way down here. This is a flat floor, and so we are able to adjust the seating however we want to. So there it is, pretty amazing. Uh, one of the other things I want to call your attention to as you're looking at this, because we're able to create such a wide room, there's something really interesting about this. So right back here, this is what we would call uh, the farthest away seat in the house. So this is as far away from the stage as you can get. If you're curious what that looks like in distance, if you look behind you at, uh, oh, I just, I just blinded some of you. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you can sue me. Um, Look at our sound table. Can we guys just wave at the sound table? There you are. That would be this row back here. So you in the building won't be farther back from the stage than that. So normally here at first service, when it's not a snownami outside, many of you are behind them. And in fact, about 20% of you sit farther back than you will in the building. Even though we're adding 200 seats to our seating capacity which is amazing. So we're all going to be really close and together, and we were able to do that because we were able to build a building that was meant to be a church, not an elementary school gym. So we were able to create this wide room. It's incredibly wide, and it kind of comes around the stage rather than a long, narrow gym. So it's, it's, it's going to be awesome. Okay, uh, let's jump into the book of Nehemiah that we've been studying in this series. Uh, the story of Nehemiah uh, takes place about 400 years or so before Jesus. Uh, chapter 1 uh, told us that uh, Nehemiah Nehemiah is an important servant uh, to the king of Persia in modern-day Iran, and Nehemiah's brother has come all the way from Jerusalem, and he's told Nehemiah that the walls of Jerusalem are still broken down. In fact, the city is in disgrace. So Nehemiah, he then, he hears about it, and he cries tears for his city of Jerusalem, and he feels led by God to do something about it. And then last week in chapter 2, we saw that the king of Persia lets Nehemiah go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And because the gracious hand of God was on Nehemiah and on this project, the king of Persia even sent an army with him uh, to accompany him. And he, he even gave him timber to help with the project. So Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem and he inspires the people to begin building. So we're going to look at chapter 3 today. So under your chairs are a Bible. I actually want 100% of you to grab a Bible today because I want to show you something. Go ahead. Pick it up. It's not going to bite you. Could cut you. Double-edged sword. Uh, That was a really bad Bible joke that none of you laughed at. Um, I won't use that second service. Um, So (laughs) I want you to open up to uh, page uh, 384. So we're chapter 3 of Nehemiah, page 384. And what you're going to see when you get there, is I just want you to take your eyes and just kind of speed read, glance over chapter 3. And what you'll see, page 384, chapter 3, is this essentially is just a list. It's a list of a whole ton of people who built the wall together. Now, as you'll see, this is the exact type of chapter that so many of us, when we read the Bible on our own, that we just kind of speed read over. You're like, Eliashib, and Minasib, and I don't even know, and we just kind of, chapter four, and we just go to the next chapter. But I want you to see today that every word in the Bible matters, because every word is the word of God, and there's actually a lot in here. So take a look at verses three and four, because this is a good example of what the whole chapter looks like. So verse three reads like this. The fish gate, this is one of the gates they're rebuilding in Jerusalem. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakos, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshullam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, also made 
repairs. Now, the entire chapter reads like that. One of the things I think you can pull from this is remember, the Bible, because sometimes people say this in America, the Bible is not a legend. The Bible is not just stories, it's recorded history. In fact, much of Nehemiah and what they write about the walls is proven by archaeology. So in describing the rebuilding of the wall in chapter 3, what Nehemiah does is he begins at the northeast corner of the wall, and then he just walks around the wall counterclockwise. And he just tells you who's rebuilding every section and every gate. In some of the places, the wall's been completely destroyed. They've got to build it basically from the ground up. In other places, they're just making repairs. And then they're bringing in 10 different gates to the wall of Jerusalem. Here's what I think the main principle of chapter 3 is. It's that everyone is doing this together. Everyone is helping with the wall, even if it wasn't their main gifting. Uh, look at verse 8, for example. So verse 8 says this. It says, Uziel, son of Harahiah, one of the, which if, if you're pregnant right now, uh, Harahiah, please add that to your list. Um, one of the goldsmiths repaired the next section, and Hannah, not, I'm worried that I offended someone who had Harahiah on their list, I'm sorry. Uh, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Now look at this. These are not professional builders. You don't have any subcontractors here. Hananiah is a perfume maker. Like his job is to make Axe body spray for the smelly junior hires of Jerusalem. That's like what he does in his day job. He doesn't know how to build a wall, but he's doing it. He's pitching in and he's figuring it out because it's important. You know, there was a famous, I guess he's still alive, but he's quite old by now. There's a famous missionary uh, named Vigo Olson. Uh, Olson uh, helped rebuild thousands of homes uh, in Bangladesh uh, after the war in the 1970s. And one of his biggest sources of inspiration to go and do all of that was actually this chapter, chapter 3 of Nehemiah, which is a chapter that many people just skip right over. Uh, Olson, in some of his writings, says this. This is why he was so inspired by chapter 3 of Nehemiah. So take a look at this. He says, I was struck that no expert builders were listed in the entire chapter. There were priests, priests' helpers, goldsmiths, perfume makers, and women, but no expert builders or carpenters were named. And God used this particular missionary to actually do amazing things in Asia because he realized, as many people have said uh, over the centuries, that the most important ability in the work of the Lord is availability. The most important ability that you can have in the work of the Lord is availability. And so there are four, if you read the whole chapters and you, chapter three and you count it all up, there are 42 different groups of people from all walks of life that make themselves available to build this wall around Jerusalem because they see that the end goal, putting a huge wall up around their city, is going to be worth it. And they help out. They all do. And we want to do the same thing as a church. See, if we're going to do what we're working towards as a church, then it's going to take all of us coming together to do this. All of us making ourselves available to be used by God. And trust me, the end goal here is worth it. I, mean, I think anytime a church talks about uh, expanding or uh, extra space, or you talk about a 480 seats or anything like that, I think the temptation is to just get stuck on numbers. 
But we're not talking about numbers here. When we talk about reaching hundreds of people, maybe a thousand people from uh, Andover and Coon Rapids and Blaine and Ham Lake and Lionel Lakes, we're not talking about numbers. We're talking about real people, real souls. Uh, Sometimes I think it's actually easier to see this by looking backwards than it is looking forward into the future. Let me give you an example of this from our own church. I want you to take a look at Chris's story. Take a look at this. I grew up in a traditional Lutheran church and went through all of the normal rites of passage. I went through uh, being baptized as an infant, catechism, first communion, and confirmation, all that stuff. But going to church always felt like an obligation to me. So I just went about my business thinking as long as I'm good enough, I'll go to heaven. So there's nothing to worry about. Then when I was in high school, my dad died of cancer and I went from being generally apathetic about God to being very angry at God. I started dating my wife, Tasha, and right away I knew that God was a very important part of her life. And so I opened up a bit to the idea of going to church again on occasion. Then when we got married, we moved to Roseville and decided that since we'd both grown up Lutheran, we would find a church that was similar to what we grew up in, a traditional Lutheran church. And we settled on a pretty big one that was near our apartment. When our second child was on the way, we bought a house in Coon Rapids and at that point decided that Roseville wasn't going to work anymore. We decided to keep trying traditional Lutheran churches like we had always done. And we went to a couple of them that were nearby, but neither of them really felt right. It was about that time when a coworker of mine asked me how our search was going. And even though I really didn't want to talk to anybody about God or my beliefs at all, he convinced me to go to lunch with him. And he told me about his family's experience church shopping and the various churches they had gone to, what they liked about them, what they didn't like about each one. And throughout the whole conversation, he kept recommending Renovation Church. But then he also mentioned that there was an event coming up with bounce houses and cheese curds. And I think that he said that because he knew I loved cheese curds. So I went home and I talked to Tasha about it. And we decided after watching a couple of Pastor David's previous messages online that we'd give it a shot. If it didn't work out, at least our daughter could play in some bounce houses and we could get some cheese curds. When we walked into North Point Elementary for the first time on September 18th, 2016. We were running late as usual. So by the time we dropped our daughter off at Renovation Kids and we're on our way to the gym, we could already hear the worship band playing from the hallway. And it was very clear to me at that point, this was not the traditional Lutheran church that I had been looking for. But we went into the gym and we listened to Pastor David's Rooted in Faith message from that day. And when he called for anyone who felt like he was speaking directly to them to stand up and give their life to Christ, without even thinking, I was on my feet. It was like the biggest no-brainer that I had ever encountered. That's when I really understood that even though he knew how I would turn away from him and I would blame him for things that went wrong in my life, even accuse him of not caring about me or my family. Jesus Christ still went to the cross and sacrificed himself for me. And it was then that he really moved mightily in my life. 
He made me a much more loving and patient husband and father. And he brought me closer to himself through the church. I went from trying to find a church where no one would really know me and I could just blend in to wanting to go to church every week, serving on setup and as an usher, taking theology classes through Renovation U. This summer I was baptized with my coworker who invited me to church as my sponsor in front of my whole church family. And now I'm a small group leader on Thursday nights. There was a time when I was incredibly angry at God. I probably even hated God at one point. But now I hate to think of the person that I would be if it wasn't for him and the work that he's doing in me and through this church. And I'm so excited to see what he has in store. Amen. This is what we're about. This is what we're about, reaching real people with the gospel and having their lives transformed, they're discipled. I mean, I, my favorite part of the video is actually when Chris says that, and that now I'm a small group leader. That's what we're talking about. Not, not just reaching someone where they would say, oh yeah, I want to start following Jesus, you never see him again, but we would disciple them to follow Jesus. What we're talking about when we look to the future is just writing more and more, exponentially more stories like that for real people not just numbers, real families. And there are people all over the city that need us to sacrifice, to do it. And I actually think that word is really important, a, a sacrifice. But one of the things that hit me about Nehemiah chapter 3 as I was just thinking and thinking about it this week is that all of these 42 different groups of people all the way around the wall had to sacrifice to build the wall. So the merchants that are listed in verse 32, or the goldsmith, or the perfume maker, plenty of others, to build the wall, which they spent all day working on, they missed work. They, they were losing income to build the wall. They sacrificed. Why would they, sac why would they miss work? Why would they lose income? Because they knew that if they built a wall for their city, that in the end, the greater goal of that was going to be worth it. Now, we've been working towards this greater goal through this process of getting land, getting a building for five years now. And generally, when I talk to people, people are really, really, really excited about it. But I've been saying for five years now that there is a gap, sometimes it's a huge gap, between this is a good idea and I will personally sacrifice to make sure this idea happens. Now, take a look at verse 5 in chapter 3. This is kind of the, an anomaly in this chapter. It says, the next section was, repa was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. So who are, who are you in this chapter? Are, are you the goldsmith, the perfume maker sacrificing to make sure the work gets done? Or are you one of the nobles of Tekoa, who are the only people listed in the entire chapter who said, no, we're not going to work. We're not going to sacrifice. Now, I can't imagine that the nobles of Tekoa disagreed with the wall being built. I'm sure that they thought that it was an important idea. I'm sure if you would have asked them, they would have said, yes, that's a great idea. But they had determined that their own lives, their own personal lives, were too important for them to sacrifice time and resources to make sure that it got done. Here's what I can assure you about this a project. I, I can assure you that I can't.
cannot think of anything more important than reaching people for Jesus Christ and saving someone for all of eternity. Like, when you're five trillion years into heaven, you're never going to look back and look at anything that you gave so that more people could meet Jesus and say, oh, I wish I wouldn't have, or that was a waste. I can think of probably plenty of things in my own life that I've spent money on and went, I'll, look, I'll get to heaven and go, well, maybe, maybe not, <laughs> right? But not this. This is a goal with all of us doing together, with all of us sacrificing towards. And if we're all going to do it together, that means that all of us have to let go of the excuses that are keeping us from getting on board. Now, you see this, too, in chapter 3. Outside of the nobles of Tekoa, this is really a no-excuses group. They have left their excuses at the door. Some of these people that build the wall aren't even from Jerusalem. Like the men of Tekoa that built the wall, so not the nobles, the rest of the people, they're from Tekoa. Tekoa is a different town. It's 12 miles south of Jerusalem. Uh, Verse 2 tells us that there were people from the city of Jericho that came and built a section of the wall. Uh, Verse 7 tells us there's people from the regions of Gibeon and Mizpah that came and they built a section. All of those people, they so easily could have said, you know what, this really isn't my problem. Like, I don't even live within the walls of Jerusalem. But because they were the Israelites of the area, they knew Jerusalem was critical to God's story, They owned the problem. And I would say, so should we. We need to own our problem. It would be so easy for all of us in this room to just say, I've just, uh, it's good, it's a great idea, let's do it. But uh, right now, I've got my own stuff kind of going on in my life. I've got things that I've got to attend to, I've got things that I've got to fix, things that I've got to improve. But I would say, we need to own the problem because this problem is all of ours. The fact that people are slipping into hell as we speak right from our own city. That's something that all of us need to do something about. We can't say, oh, you know what, that's, that's someone else's problem. No, it's our problem. This is our city. This is our region. This is our county. And if we're going to do something significant about that, that means all of us have to own it together. And so I said at the very beginning of this message, I know some of you are still walking in still because of the snow and such, but our goal is to raise $210,000 more in pledges, which would allow us then to secure a loan from the bank in the next month or two and then break ground in March, of course, weather permitting. Uh, We have already had almost $1.5 million pledged to this project in the last two years. So many of you in this church have been so generous to this. It just blow, it blows me away when I think about it. I'm just in awe of so many people in this church and so grateful for so many of you. But we also know that there are right around 100 or so of you that are new. You're brand new since we talked about this last year, 12 months ago. Or others of you, you've been here for 18 months or 24 months and you just haven't maybe pledged yet to this project. And so if we're actually going to raise an additional 210000 to break ground this spring, we're going, I'll just be straight up honest on this, there's no other way to say this, we're going to have to rely heavily on the 100 or so of you that are new in the last year, the rest of you that maybe haven't pledged. We're going to have to rely on you joining us in this. We need to do this together. 
We all need to do this together. We say all the time, this is not a consumeristic church. That's not who we are. We're not built for that. But if we become one, if this becomes a place where people just come and they consume a service and they're not a part of it, well, then, then we can't do this. But we all need to do this together. We all need to sacrifice. We all need to let go of whatever excuses we have that are holding us back. When you study chapter three, one of the things that jumps out at you is that the word next is used 26 times in one chapter. It says, next to him was this person. Next to him was this person. Next to this group was this group. Next, next, next. And it just goes all the way around the wall. I want you just for two or three seconds, crane your neck around a little bit, and I want you to look at the people around you. Go ahead. Give them a nice little smile. Look around at them. There they are. There's a lot of people next to you. If this is going to happen, we all have to do this together. If there are gaps in this building, like if this row right over here is just out, they're like, no, we're not going to do it. Or the, or the row in the back, if you guys are out, or a row right over here, if you're out, and there's a gap, then this isn't going to happen. We have to say we're Renovation Church. We're going to do this together. And so we're asking people who've never pledged to the Harvest Building Fund before to pray about making a 15-month pledge, a pledge that would start this December. Welcome to December, uh, by the way. That's a pledge of how much you want to give uh, above and beyond what you may already be giving to our general fund. You know, as a pastor, I would say this to you. If, if you're in a place spiritually where you are giving, but you're not tithing yet, you're not giving the biblical 10% of your income. This is for the first fruits of your finances, the scripture says. Uh, maybe you ask the question this week of what would it take sacrificially to use this moment as an opportunity for you to get to tithing. Right? Maybe you're giving uh, 5% of your income to the general fund. Right? Well, maybe you give 5% to the harvest fund and you get to this point in your life where you're saying, Yes, I'm going to start to tithe as a Christian. It's a great question to think about this week, to pray about. If you're married, talk to your spouse about. And be willing to pray, God, take us to the gulp line, to, to, to a place where you know that it's possible, but it's going to require a level of some sacrifice. Uh, King David in 2 Samuel 24, 24 famously says this when he's talking about giving of his own resources. He says, I will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. Like if, if, it doesn't co- if, if it's easy, if it doesn't cost me anything, then it's not really sacrifice. You just as Christians, this isn't just about a building project. It isn't even just about reaching more people for Christ. I believe for us as a church, this is also an opportunity for God to use this as a teaching moment in our own lives. For us to take another important step of surrendering more of our lives to him. Like, a lot of us say, like, God, you have my whole life, but then when it comes to, like, this issue, right, we say, well, you ain't touching that one. It's an opportunity to say, Lord, no, I'm serious. You have all of my life. For those of you in here, and I know this is probably the majority of you who have a pledge to harvest in the past. You made it two years ago, you made a three-year pledge, or maybe last year you made a two-year pledge. I mentioned last week that because we know that $210,000 is a little bit more than we were expecting to raise a year ago due to the insane exponential rise of construction prices, we know that we're probably not going to make 210000 just off the pledges of the one hundred or so 
of you that are new. And so we're asking all of you who've already pledged to Harvest to please consider extending your pledge by three extra months. So for those of you who have already pledged, your Harvest pledge was set to end on November of 2020. And so what we're asking is for you to extend your pledge three months beyond that. So December 2020, January 21, February 21. So basically, if many of you, I know most of you give monthly, so it would be that maybe you've already been giving 36 months, um, your monthly donations at that point. We're just saying, you've been doing it for 36 months, would you do it for three more months? Or if you've been giving annually, would you give kind of a portion of that for the remaining three months, the extension? Or for some of you, maybe your circumstances have changed in the last two years since you started giving to Harvest. And maybe you pledged some last year, but you're just in a spot spiritually now where you want to get closer to tithing. Or for some of you, maybe your circumstances have changed and you got a new job or you got a promotion and you're in a space where the Lord's just impressing on your heart that you want to up your pledge for the remaining 15 months. You can do that when you fill out your commitment card this upcoming week. But I, I just believe like, if this is going to happen, it's going to take all of us, from those of you that are leaders here to those of you that are still maybe on the sidelines here. But look at verse 1, for example. It says, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. So it says the high priest is building the wall. The high priest was the spiritual leader for the Jews, and he rolls up his sleeves along with his fellow priests, and they get to work. The leaders get to work. If you're a leader in our church, then lead in this way. Some of you are financial leaders in this church, and because of God's financial, unique financial blessing in your life, you're able to make a significant contribution to this project. But listen, I also know that this is just going to look different for all of us. Um, let me show you something on the screen here. This is a chart. This is in our Harvest Booklet as well of just different types of pledges that we're going to need if this is going to happen. So this is for people pledging for the first time for 15 months. Uh, this is in, like I said, in the Harvest uh, Booklet, which looks like uh, this. If you weren't here last week and you didn't get one of these, uh, our greeters are going to have them at the door at the end of the service. Please, please grab one. It has a bunch of pictures of the building in it. Uh, there's a lot of information about this project. I want you to take one. But I want, you to encourage, I want to encourage you to use this particular tool in the Harvest Booklet because it'll help, I don't know if you can see it all the way in the back, but it'll help you break down what a pledge looks like. If you pledge 1500 well, then that's $100 a month. for That's easy math right there, I suppose, for 15 months. And then it tells you even what it is a week. Well, that would be $23 a week. And again, there are no all-star givers here. It's not equal gifts, but it is equal sacrifice given your situation. But listen, we are praying, we are praying that someone is going to give $30,000. Some of you are like, I don't even make that in a year, right? But some of you, that isn't as much of a sacrifice. We're praying that someone's going to give $30,000 over the the next 15 months, and someone's going to give $25,000. Honestly, if this is going to happen, we need gifts like that to make it happen. But we're also praying that for some of you that feel like, I couldn't give anything to this, that you would find a way to do this with us together. In fact, in that Harvest booklet, and I want you to look at it on your way out or when you get home, if you have it on your island or wherever you have it in your apartment or your house, on page 16 in the Harvest booklet, there's a ton of ideas about how you can creatively either increase your pledge or just get on board because we want all of you to feel like we did this together. Uh, Ideas like, what if you just drank, what if you went to Starbucks one last time a week? or one less time a month? What if you ate out 
at a restaurant one less time a week or one less time a month? If you're planning on taking a vacation in the next 15 months, or what if you delayed it until after the 15 months? And maybe you're planning next summer to get a new car, or what if you delayed it until after the 15 months were over? I think there's things that all of us can do to sacrifice so that we can do this together. And sometimes the greatest impacts come from those of you who you wouldn't even, people wouldn't even expect. Uh, in verse 5, we're told that the nobles of Tekoa refused to pitch in, but the rest of the regular people from Tekoa, they built that section of the wall. Then look down to verse 27. Verse 27 says this. It says, Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. So they're famous in history for the story because they actually repaired the regular people, not the nobles, the regular people of Tekoa repaired two sections of the wall. Remember, there are no expert builders here. They're just people who are willing to make themselves available to the Lord. Now, having been working on this project for five years now, one of the things I can tell you about it is some of the most generous people in our church are people that you would never expect. They're young people. They may be people that are just starting out in their careers. They're people where you would go, oh, they could never. But they did. And they sought God. And God moved in their life. And I, they're thankful for it. There's so many stories of where they just sort of stepped out in faith and God moved. And they got to see the movement of God in their life because they trusted in faith. So we want to do this together, together as a church. So between those of you that uh, have already pledged extending and those of you pledging for the first time, our prayer is 100% commitment, 100% participation on this. Uh, on your way out of uh, the building today, you're going to get handed a, a commitment card. This is for our commitment Sunday uh, next week. It looks kind of like this. Uh, this is for everyone, whether you're pledging. Uh, there's two sections here, pledging for the first time or just extending a pledge. I want you to take this home pray about it, and then bring it back on next Sunday. It's just a pledge of your intentions. It's not a binding contract. Uh, when you pledge, you'll get information about how to actually begin giving. If you are married, I encourage you to do a lot of talking this week, and most of all, I encourage you to just do a lot of praying. As a person who just absolutely loves math, as a person whose most used app on his phone is my calculator, I will tell you that this is a financial decision, but ultimately, I believe that most importantly, it is a spiritual decision. We need to seek God. Not just our calculator, not just an Excel spreadsheet. We need to also seek God on this, this week. And so next Sunday, we're going to have Commitment Sunday, where we'll all hand in our pledges together. And I just believe it's going to be a powerful Sunday. Because I know that years from now, people are going to look back at these years and they will thank the people of Renovation Church who were Renovation Church back when Renovation Church was at North Point Elementary School. And they'll thank you for helping save their life because without you, without your sacrifice, there wouldn't have been room for them and they wouldn't have known Jesus and their children wouldn't have grown up knowing Jesus. And they will thank you for your sacrifice. I believe God is going to do something great. Let's pray that he does. Jesus, uh, we are asking you to do something amazing uh, 
quite frankly, I'm not sure exactly how you're going to do it, but we believe that your gracious hand has been on this project for five years now, and so we're just trusting that you can do it. I pray that you move in 100% of us, that all of us uh, sense your leading this week on how we can participate, and that you would just use us to reach more lives like Chris that we saw in the video. And what a blessing you've been to his family. God, would you do that all over this city because of our sacrifice? It's in your name we pray. Amen.